Hey, this is Vadim reminding you to be our friend. If you enjoy this podcast, take just a minute of your time to leave us an iTunes review. This small step helps us expand our reach and helps us bring you new episodes and guests and all kinds of goodies every week. Speaking of guests, guest today is Samori Coles of Little Drummer Boy Recordings and Home Studio Tutor. Samori, uh, it's hard to sum up in just one sentence what he does. He is a producer, an engineer, and an educator based out of Philadelphia. Um, but as you're listening to the story, just keep in mind that Samori is somebody who's been able to do this successfully for nearly 20 years now. So he's doing something right. <laughs> and uh, he's got these two avenues. He's built a wonderful community in Philadelphia through these these two avenues, one being the recording studio, Little Drama Boy Recordings, and two being Home Studio Tutor, which is more of his um, educational platform. We talk about music theory a lot on this episode. Music theory is something that Samori teaches, and it's something that we were going to have to stumble upon sooner or later here, the, uh, the dark abyss of music theory. It's something that can be intimidating, as a lot of the, the topics that we touch in this podcast can be, and it's also something that you may wonder whether you need or not. So Samori has an interesting perspectives there. We get into what is music theory, a practical approach to music theory that maybe bypasses some of the traditional ways of learning about it through maybe classical music. Uh, Samori's take is you certainly don't need it to be that, although it could be. You can, you can apply music theory to whatever style of music you're working on. Why you should care about music theory um, and whether you or not you need it to be a great musician how music theory is a toolbox to help you compose and help your music kind of move from section to section. Samori touches on the circle of fifths and why, again, that can be a super tool for, for helping you supercharge your song creation creativity. Samori tells a, a really great story about why you should maybe listen to the radio. We talk about how to start with learning music theory. This is kind of the, the don't panic portion of it. Samori touches on triads, which is some, some of the theory basics. And finally, why reading music is really separate from knowing and understanding theory. You can check out the show notes for uh, information on where to find Samori. As you'll hear, he just has a kind of a great, a great vibe to him. And um, he's just exhibits patience and uh, understanding of his students that I think is a, a rare quality in educators and uh, one that I respect very much. Enjoy. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, Samori Coles, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Thank you, Vadim, man. It's a pleasure to be here. So I don't know if you remember this, but we first met, it was almost exactly a year ago. It might have been to the day a year ago. Mm. <laughs> and I think you were, you were one of the first, you may have been the first person outside of my immediate family that I talked to about leaving my job and trying to do music. I remember. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so you have a very special place in my heart. We met at your studio on South Street. 
Little Drummer Boy recordings. Mm-hmm. And you told me your story, which I found very inspiring for obvious reasons. So why don't we start there? Tell us your story of how you got from the Midwest into the heart of Philadelphia doing what you do now. Absolutely, man. And, and I do remember that meeting. I remember you coming in, man, and <laughs> <laughs> talking about, you know, transitioning from the nine to five to going into your own uh, business, your own business with your recording studio and your mixing services. And I was excited for you, man. I still am. And, and congratulations. <laughs> congratulations again for that transition because it's not easy, but it's a beautiful transition. Um, so in terms of my story, I uh, was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, grew up loving music, loved uh, playing instruments, uh, was playing everything from the drums to the trumpet and violin in elementary school. Um, I settled in on the drums and just was always into being in bands and uh, was in the school band and, and creating music groups and all that good stuff, man. But I never really envisioned music being a career. You know, I was in the Midwest. I didn't know a lot of people who were in the music industry. So mm. my trajectory career-wise was just to follow kind of a traditional path. And for me, that meant graduating from high school. Um, I was uh, accepted into Creighton University, which is in Omaha, Nebraska, and went to school for business, man. Ended up getting degrees in marketing and finance. And immediately after graduating, I went into a career as a financial analyst. Um, which um, I, I enjoyed finance, don't get me wrong, but sitting in that cubicle for, you know, <laughs> however many years was not something that I felt like I, I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. And it just so happened around this same time, which is the mid 90s, uh, maybe 95, 96. Some of my buddies who were still in the neighborhood were building home recording studios. And this is before the computers yeah. ca came into the picture. They were using uh, cassette decks and mm. Casio keyboards and realistic microphones, which were from Radio Shack. Everything was from Radio Shack at that time, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> you know, and, and little drum <laughs> machines. And I remember going to some of these uh, kind of bedroom recording sessions and just falling in love with the fact that we could create our own music. And after the end of these sessions, can go home with a cassette and listen to what we did. And that, yeah. that was a transformational time period for me. So it was funny. Each day going to my nine to five got harder and harder because I would think about these recording sessions. And I would ultimately get to the point where I'm at work uh, crunching numbers for some big you know, project <laughs> at Union Pacific Railroad, which is where I was working. And I would kind of pause and write rap lyrics, man. I'd be, I'd be writing these lyrics to get ready for the sessions uh, that night. Well, one thing led to another, man. We eventually recorded a song that ended up on a local radio station that we had. Um, and I was pretty much sold from that point on. I didn't know anything about the music industry. So we had this music playing on the radio. We didn't make any money from it. I didn't mm. understand about copyright, publishing, none of that. But I knew that I loved making music. I enjoyed just the whole idea, again, of making music, writing songs. I didn't know what the future would hold. But what I did know at the time was um, we really didn't have a, a ton of money to go to recording studios. So we just continued to hone our skills, recording ourselves. We spent a little money at a Pro Tools studio in my hometown, but I knew that we couldn't keep paying the 60 to $70 an hour. We had to really do it ourselves. So we invested in 
cassette four track recorders and eventually um, digital Porta studios, which were really mm. the thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and one day, man, just really wanting to pursue this career, I jumped on a Greyhound bus and headed out to the East Coast. Um, what preceded that was an acceptance letter to the Wharton School uh, of Economics in Pennsylvania. Um, and so that kind of got my mindset focused on the East. But believe it or not, when I got out here, I never set foot on the campus of Wharton. I embarked wow. on, on the school of independent music creation. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, the whole uh, computer-based thing came about in around you know 2000. It was starting to become more and more prevalent. And I got involved really early on with that and have just grown with, you know, that side of things, with the whole computer-based DIY, do-it-yourself recording, production, mixing, mastering. Um, and I've been doing it ever since, man. I haven't worked for anybody since 2003 and I've just loved, you know, what I do. I love this music industry. I love recording. I love audio. And, you know, this is the life that I live, my brother. <laughs> That's awesome. That's an amazing story. I didn't I didn't know that. You didn't I don't think last year you talked about the Wharton part of it. I probably didn't. <laughs> Cuz I was going to actually ask you about, you know, why Philadelphia, but that makes more sense. You had mm -hmm. you had another draw. Yes. Well, okay. You know, and honestly, you know, between me and you, of course, we're going to keep this hush hush. There was a Wharton school, but I also had a girlfriend out um, in this area at the time as well. So <laughs> all of that okay. kind of worked together, you know. <laughs> I know that makes a lot more sense now. I got yes, you. Sir. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So I am, uh, you know, one thing that I think you do really well, and this isn't on our agenda today, but one thing I think you do really well is keep up with technology and understanding what's going to make your life easier, what's kind of important to focus on. Talk a little bit about how you've done that because you mentioned, you know, you early days was cassettes, right? Mm -hmm. Then the Porta Studio stuff, a little bit digital, but you've continued to evolve your own setup and your own knowledge. And how do you, how have you done that? And how have you known what to focus on? Right. So um, around the year 2000, I was in an apartment recording studio in the Germantown section of Philadelphia and um, didn't have many clients, but um, I knew I needed to build my business. You know, I was really an artist at that time, as well as a producer, and I really saw Little Drummer Boy as a record label more than anything, but mm. I knew that I had to find some way to leverage the fact that I wasn't known. I was in an apartment. I, I had to figure out some way I was gonna survive doing this. So I kind of built you know, my first website with the help of my cousin back then um, in the year 2000. And so I started leveraging technology almost at the very beginning. Um, and even the Porta Studio stuff at the, you know, in the late 90s was was technology. So that's been a part of my brand and just my experience from the very beginning, because where I didn't have a ton of money to work with, I didn't have a, a ton of reach and exposure. It was always leveraging technology you know to be uh, to have as much reach and to be as big as i could be at that time and not to mention man you know early on for me i had an experience uh doing an apprenticeship at a fairly legendary recording studio in philadelphia um and at the time everything was two inch tape for them and a huge neve console and you know they right. worked with some of the best in the business but a lot of their engineers were anti-technology and I just remember that mindset, 
that was, you know, no, nah, digital's not going to make it. This stuff is for the birds. You know, you mm. young people don't know what you're doing. So I've always kind of been around an older group of folks who were very resistant. And I just never understood that. So as I have gotten older, I've always tried to keep an open mind. You know, it wasn't even just in the recording side of thing. There were musicians that I knew that went back many years who were involved with the careers of some very legendary uh, musicians who just believed that music had not advanced since the 40s. I mean, I actually heard somebody somebody told me this. They said, you know, music hasn't advanced since the 1940s. And that mindset was always something that was very curious to me and something mm. I just didn't agree with. And, it, and I just I never wanted to have that type of attitude. So yeah. whether it's getting into the computer-based recording and understanding that fully, whether it's get it, you know having a website, uh, getting into social media, or even getting heavily involved in digital marketing, I've just known that that is the way that we as independents can leverage what we do and can increase our reach and can be more productive. And again, that's just been a part of my experience, man, and just, and just how, I, how I roll in this industry. Yeah, that's huge. I think for people listening, if you're just starting out, is that ability to evolve and keep that open mind. And I mean, I, I catch myself on this all the time where I'm like, no, I know this. I know this bit of gear information and this is how I do it. And you have to really work, at least in my case, to see what's out there, see what's new. Is it going to improve your workflow? How How is it kind of predict a little bit where the technology is going to go, right? And where the industry is going to go. And even from a from an artist perspective, with things like streaming, right? Do you print CDs? Do you print cassettes, vinyl, streaming? All the stuff you have to constantly evolve and kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening. I think that's uh, that's definitely inspiring that you've been able to do that for the past 20 years or so. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Cool. Well, the the real reason I wanted to talk to you was about music theory. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's get started with what is music theory? How do you define it? Excellent question, man. So the way that I define music theory to the students that I teach is how music works. You know, how does music work? There are 12 tones in the Western musical language. And, you know, kind of how do you put these tones together to create music? You know, that's that's the definition of music theory that I teach. And that really works well for me. Now, there are more classical definitions of music theory that basically get into um, studying the works of great composers. And that's awesome, too. Um, but I've always looked at it as, look, this is the science of music. This is how music works. Yes, that's very cool. It's always it's always kind of mind blowing to think that in Western music, we have 12 tones every single song you've ever heard on the radio and probably even is using less than 12 tones because those songs are probably in some key yeah probably using something like seven tones it's amazing that we can keep writing new music year after year given that concept so uh yeah i like what you said there is it's it's kind of um it's how music works it's the science of it it's kind of the framework of it kind of like we have grammar let's say in the english language once you've spoken English for a while, you don't think about the grammar anymore. And I assume, well, I'm not at that level with music theory, but I assume you can achieve a similar level with music theory where it just becomes ingrained in your way of thinking. So 
let's talk about, let's say I'm a musician. Maybe I'm playing around with FL Studio or Ableton. I'm producing some songs. And, you know, I'm making some songs here and there. Why should I care about music theory? Why do, why should, when should I start considering it? Hmm. So here's the interesting thing about music theory, Vadim. There are great musicians out there who aren't well-versed in music theory. So knowing music theory is not an indicator of how well you'll play your instrument. All right. So we definitely have to start with that. You know, Jimi Hendrix wasn't a guy who was big into music theory and no one would argue about his musicianship. Right. Right. And at the same time, there are people who know everything there is to know about music theory, at least most of the basics and, and, and aren't good musicians. So your question makes so much sense. Why would it matter then? Why should I, as a music producer, understand music theory? Well, if you're just starting out, if you're trying to understand how to make music on FL Studio or Logic or whatever DAW you're using, Ableton, um, and you really don't have a framework from where to begin, music theory will give you that alphabet. It's like you said, it's like a language. You want to learn a new language, you should learn the alphabet and learn the basic phrases that you have to put together to make a sentence. Mm. And that's what music theory allows you to do as a producer. Was, particularly, you have no framework at all. You start to understand, like you said, yes, there's 12 tones, but we're going to put a song in a certain key. And that key is going to probably have seven tones, right? Each of those tones has a chord associated with it, okay? And so as you start to figure out, how am I going to kind of make a song that sounds good and sounds legitimate? Well, you start to learn, how do I blend these chords together? I'll start with this chord, then I go to this next chord, then I go to this next chord. How do I put these together so that it sounds musical? That's what the understanding of music theory will give you. Also, I know musicians who are very good musicians. Um, and they can play just about anything you put in front of them. But they aren't necessarily folks, you know, in some cases who really understand music theory. They, they can play, but they really don't understand music theory. And, are, and they are sometimes limited with their ability to compose original music. Hmm. So I have a, a couple of students who can play the piano so great. Uh, but when it comes down to, all right, I want to make my own original song, they, they're, they're lost. And so music theory teaches you, particularly through the circle of fifths, how to make that music move so that, you know, 98% of the listening public, when they listen to it, it sounds like a song. Mm. So again, yeah. you, you learn how does it work. Once you know how it works, then you can kind of put together your own phrases, your own sentences to create music that resonates with you. So maybe give an example here. Let's say I'm playing the guitar, the piano, and I'm working on some, some chord progressions. I'm trying to write a song. How can theory help me? You kind of touched on it already. Yeah, sure. So one of the, one of the kind of most important concepts is the idea that music moves in fourths and fifths. Okay. And, that, and that's what the whole circle of fifths is about. So if you were to draw a circle, and envision it being like a clock, right? And at the top of that circle at 12 o'clock is a C, all right? And I won't go all the way through the cycle of fifths at the moment, but if I start at a C and I play a C chord, and mm -hmm. a C chord would be the notes of C, E, and G, a C major chord, 
So understanding that music moves in fourths and fifths, then that tells me if I start with a C chord and I want to make a song that sounds musical, then I could move to an F. So if I say C, D, E, F, that's four, right? So C could go to F or C could go to G. C, right? D, E, F, G. That's five, right? Five okay. different notes. So it tells me how can I move this song from one place to the next. And once you start to do that, you'll realize that you really only got to move one time to, to make a song. And if you decide to move two times, right, maybe you go from C, then you go to G, then maybe from G you go to D. Again, following the circle of fifths, now you've got this movement you've created that becomes the skeleton for a song. And it's going to sound very musical. And then what you do is you just fill it in, put your rhythm behind it, put your melodic notes in there. And next thing you know, again, you've got, wow, this sounds like a piece of music. You know, you know what it is, man? It's you, you understand the patterns and you understand the formulas. You know, just about anything that we do in life, there, there's a system that can make you pretty effective at and efficient. And so what I just mentioned is a way that you can become really effective at creating music. Just understand music moves in fourths and fifths. And if you understand those patterns that create the fourths and fifths, man, game over. <laughs> you know, you will transform <laughs> yourself musically. <laughs> I'm just going to just put on my skeptics hat here. And I'm so I'm listening to this and I'm saying, you know what? My music is one of a kind. Yes. I want to write music that's original and never been written before. Why mm. would I want a formula on how to write a song? So what do you say to that? There is absolutely nothing that you're going to create on those 12 tones that has not been created before. <laughs> it's just sure. not, it's not going to happen. And <laughs> if you want to create something that's going to resonate with, uh, you know, the majority of the listening public, then following those patterns is what will resonate. You know, people in general, even if they don't know anything about music, they, they are familiar with this movement, with this fourths and fifths movement. And here's the deal. That's just starting point, right? That, a starting point is understanding these fourths and fifths. But you don't just have to go from C to F or C to G, okay? That's kind of the the end point. So if I say I'm starting with the C major and I'm going to ultimately go to G, right? And that's going to create this movement that that uh, is going to resonate and that's going to sound musical. Your creativity, Vadim, comes in. Where do you go between the C and G? So it's like if I wake up in the morning and I know I'm going to end up going to the studio, the studio is my end point. But where life happens is the fact that I go to the store before that. You know, maybe I go to the gas station before that. So there are these points I stop at before I get to my end point. So the same thing with music theory. If I know I'm starting on a note and I'm ultimately going to end up at this fourth or fifth. Well, where can I go before I get to that fourth and the fifth? And that's going to create, you know, something a little more unique for you. Not to mention the fact that. There are substitutes for those fourths and fifths. And so, you know, that's where things can start to get a little more um, intermediate, but you will find that uniqueness, right? Based on how you use the information. And that, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, 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 love, the, I love the phrase where life happens. <laughs> right. and, you know, music is about conveying emotion. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of like we said with the English language, you have some frameworks of grammar, spelling, 
you can still write poetry that conveys emotion in the English language. And it's kind of like that with music. What you're talking about, I think, is you have a palette of tools and options that really, instead of thinking about it's limiting you, it's actually expanding what you're able to do because it's giving you options in different different situations where you may otherwise be stuck. And I like what you said there a lot is ultimately it's still on you to convey the emotion you're trying to convey within that within that framework. So Yeah, yes, and, and real agree. real quick, not to cut you off, I mean, not everyone wants to create hit records. There are probably a lot of people listening to this podcast right now that are not interested in creating hit records. But those that are will find out that hit records use the same formulas over and over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you no, know, our fan base, our fan base are all purists, and they right. uh, they don't they don't listen to the radio. <laughs> I get it. I, I get it. No, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's amazing how you can. I mean, there's YouTube videos now out there that deconstruct. You know, there's five pop song formulas or whatever, but yeah. we still love it because yes. there's a reason. Though that's the popular music, right? Yes, the four chord pop progression, the one five six four. Man, how many hit songs are made? out of that how many hit right. songs are made from a one four five most of them you yep. know most of them are using kind of the same chordal movements and and i'm gonna be honest you know when i first started out producing early on i wasn't listening to the radio man and i was just making music that i felt resonated with me i didn't understand music theory early on i grew up playing the drums and so i understood rhythms but i didn't understand chords and melodies and all that stuff and I happened to meet a manager of a renowned Philadelphia artist, man. And this was around the year 2000. And it was the most interesting uh, scenario where I was in the bank uh, depositing something or whatever I was doing at the bank. And there was a guy behind me that was talking about this artist who was really getting popular at the time. And I just waited outside the bank. I introduced myself and I told him, I said, I live around the corner from here and I'm a producer. Would you be interested in coming to my to my place and listening to my music? And he said, yeah, which wow. when you think about it, it's like, man, whoa, what, what an interesting you know scenario. Yeah. So he, he walks with me to my place. We go into, you know, I had a two bedroom, one bedroom had a bunch of clothes and, and stuff all over the place. The other bedroom had a studio and that, that was how I lived. And he came in and he started listening to my music. I played one song. I'm bobbing my head. He's just kind of sitting there watching. He said, OK, let me hear the next one. Play the next one. I'm bobbing my head. He said, let me hear the next one. Play the next one. After the third one, he said, man, do you listen to the radio? I said, oh, no, man, I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to that stuff, man. I'm doing my own thing. He said, you should listen to the radio. He said, that way you can understand what people want to hear. And and he was gracious. Mm. He was nice. He left, never heard from him again. But I learned a very important lesson that day, man. I mean, we can do our own thing all we want, and that's great. Nobody wants to keep you from doing that. But if you want to make music that's going to resonate with folks, you do kind of have to understand the formulas that work, man, and the patterns that work. Yes, well, since you brought that up, what at what point did you realize you needed to learn theory? Right, man. So I always wanted to learn the piano. In fact, I took piano lessons in the early 2000s. I started with a classical pianist named Roberto Pache, who is still one of my musical mentors. Uh, but it, it was over my head, to be honest with you. It was, it was over my head. Um, the music itself didn't resonate with me. So practicing and all that wasn't exciting, you know. And so then I started studying with a jazz pianist. 
uh, the first jazz pianist I studied with was a guy named Luke O'Reilly, who's a, who's a phenomenal musician. Um, one of the greatest things he, he taught me, he said, man, listen to John Coltrane, The Love Supreme. And that, that record, which is really four songs or four suites on that record, really opened my mind to the possibilities. Mm. But again, it was over my head. It was like listening to alien music, man, because <laughs> John Coltrane does use all 12 notes in every yeah. song. You know, so that yeah. was different. Then I started studying with Dave Burrell, who's a jazz pianist. And again, it was over my head. And the, the music wasn't music that I was making or that I wanted to make. I just wanted to be able to make my music better. So that really didn't work out too well in terms of me growing. Um, and so I just kept kind of moving along. And, and, and I wanted to learn to play the piano and play the guitar so much that it hurt. Like I could feel it. But my my skill set and my gift was just on production, was on making beats. And I took that skill set of making beats and recording and started to go into public schools in Philadelphia. Uh, I was on something called the Pennsylvania Council of the Arts, which enabled me to get these residencies to go into schools and teach kids to make music. So I would mm. teach them to produce. And I, I was doing that for a while. And I went to one school. It was called Julio de Burgos. Okay. And this was a middle school. And the music teacher there was a very accomplished jazz piano, uh, jazz pianist. His name is Dr. Jay Flewellen, still a very good friend of mine. And the person who was kind of the director of this, this program, uh, when I went into the school, she was a, a, a writer and a composer. So their expectation of me working with their kids was different <laughs> than any other uh, school that I had been at. And so I was kind of challenged, you know, after the first class, they, you know, kind of talked to me and said, uh, you know, you really uh, we really want our kids to understand music theory. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was limited. So I pushed back a little bit. I said, well, man, I don't have to teach them theory. I'm teaching them to make beats, man. That's what people are doing <laughs> nowadays. And no, yeah. no, nah, nah, we really we really want them to learn theory. And we think this will be great for our program. So I was forced to to learn theory. And I started at that point embarking on this quest to understand music theory um, and it's one of the best things that I, I could have done you know I would have not thought 15 years ago that I'd be teaching people to play the piano and teaching music theory but it was through my own study you know and quest of knowledge and learning that it all unfolded for me and I, and I realized something Vadim you know again started out trying to learn from a classical pianist Try to learn from a jazz pianist. When I embarked on my own journey, I broke it down and said, well, what is more accessible to me? Because this jazz and this classical, it's great. These musicians are great, but I, I'm really not trying to play that music. And it's difficult. Mm. And so I broke it down and, and looked at the blues and looked at the blues and looked at triads, you know, three note chords and looked at just that movement from one chord to the next. And it started to make sense, man. And I started to look at, you know, scales and, you know, chords and and all of that good stuff, man. I started to put it together. And then when I would pick the brains of more accomplished musicians, it made sense because I had a basic framework under under my belt. I knew mm. the language and then I was able to kind of grow and expand from there. And, and my musicianship got better. And as audio engineers, I think understanding music theory can be super beneficial to your clients because 
as you understand music theory and as you start to practice your instrument, whether it's piano, guitar, you know, whatever it is you play, your ear gets better. So if you're working with an artist who's singing and they're, they're flat or they're sharp, you can hear that. So mm. it gives you an advantage with your clients that is, that is valuable, where you can now bring something to the table um, that other engineers may not be able to. And even when you're using tools such as Autotune, Melodyne, things like that. If you have some understanding of key and pitch and you can now start to find the musical key that, that folks are singing in and all that good stuff, again, it's an advantage and it's value added for your clients. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Even from the like production standpoint, when you're in the studio, things like coming up with harmonies or like you said, or just hearing what doesn't quite work having that basic framework is is very important there and also makes you more flexible as i think people who i know that have a really strong grasp on theory they can they can adapt much more on the fly like for example oh the vocalist can't sing in this key well that's okay we can just transpose it down to a key that works right so mm -hmm. if you, especially if you're trying to be something like a session musician mm. then having that framework is going to be very important. So you you mentioned the blues, which I love because the blues is so accessible and yet there's there's a lot going on there. What's a good way to start? You know, I'll be honest, like even in my position, I took same thing like piano lessons, guitar lessons. I do have a small framework of theory, but it's still an intimidating, even to me, it's still in, an intimidating pros process or prospect. So how do you start? Well, the, the, the way you start, uh, first off, is I think especially if you're using the piano to learn, I think the piano is a great place to learn. Of course, if you're already a guitar player, you should probably learn on your instrument. But for me, it was mm -hmm. the piano because okay. you can see the notes. And when you're looking at the piano and you start in the key of C, it's just a great place to start because the C has no sharps and no flats, meaning it's all white keys, right? So if you envision a keyboard, You've got these groupings of black keys. You've got this grouping of two black keys and then this grouping of three and then this grouping of two and this grouping of three. Right. So yep. the C on your keyboard is the white note that is directly to the left of the first black key in the grouping of two. Right. And the grouping of two black keys, the white note directly to the left is C. So that's a great starting point. So you start on that note C, which goes to D, E, F, G. A, B, and then, of course, it goes back to C. So C, D, E, F, G, A, B, that's seven tones. So start right there. Say, okay, I've got these seven tones that will work together. So I can make a song. I know that I can use these seven tones. So you start and you just play those seven tones, right, in sequence, which would be playing a scale. And if you think about your hand, right, so think about your right hand. So in your right hand, you can number each finger. Your thumb is one, your, your next finger is two, middle finger three, ring finger four, pinky five. So the first thing you can do is kind of play that scale, right, using a system that's going to make it easy to move along that scale. So with the C, you'll play your thumb, which is one. Then you'll play the two finger, the three finger. You'll cross under with your thumb, 
which is the one, and then you just go two, three, four, five. It's easier to, to see than to hear. But again, just oh, you're start, doing a good job. I'm picturing it. Yeah, just start <laughs> by just just playing the scale up and down. Just get used to hearing that. Playing those scales. You do the same thing with the left hand, right? Because there's something called muscle memory. And the mm. more you just practice going up and down that scale from C to C, up and down, right hand, left hand, your fingers will memorize it. And, you know, one of the things I teach my students to do, even if they've never played piano before, teach them to play with two hands. And the way you're able to do that is just by independently working that right hand up and down, then that left hand up and down. And then eventually you can play both hands together. And, you know, it takes practice. But really, if you're willing to practice 20 minutes per day, every day, you will transform your playing in a matter of months. All right. Mm. So you start with those seven notes. So you understand, OK, I got seven tones here. Now understand that each one of those tones has a chord associated with it. A chord meaning playing more than one note at a time. Mm. So I like to look at triads, which is three notes played at the same time. So if you put your in your right hand, you put your thumb on the C, you skip a white note and skip a finger. So then that middle finger goes on E. Right. Then you skip a white note and skip that next finger. And then your pinky goes on G. You play those at the same time. You've got a C major chord. Right. You mm. keep that same positioning with those fingers and you just pick them up and move over to the next note, which is D. And then you play those three notes, which is D, F, A. You play them at the same time. Boom. You got a D minor chord. And then you just keep going up and down each one of those notes, playing those triads up and down the keyboard. And it'll start to open your ears up a little bit. You start to say, oh, these are the chords. And I would say initially have fun with that. You know, play one chord, then play the next chord and, and play different chords in sequence and just see how it feels together. Mm. Um, I think the the best way to learn and understand is to sit at that instrument and and just, you know, play the notes, see how they feel. But but play scales, play those chords. And then after you play those chords and you kind of your fingers are feeling better and you're moving around after a couple of weeks, then you start to learn the circle of fifths once you learn the circle of fifths and your fingers have become independent you've got some muscle memory you're playing two hands together you bring those circle of fifths together and i've got some really great exercises that i teach my students man i can you know i i believe i can teach most people to play basic piano and understand music theory in about eight weeks you know even if you've never played before and once you've kind of got those concepts together you can actually start playing simple songs. And the song that I teach my students is the song Imagine by John Lennon uh, because mm. it, it is in the key of C. So once you've kind of embarked on this training and this learning in C, then you can go right into Imagine and it's not foreign to you. Mm. You know, some people say, well, the best thing you can do is learn songs. I had a really great musician tell me that when I was first trying to learn. And I think there is some truth to that. I think there's some truth to it. But I, but I also am the type of person, you know, I didn't get into music to play other people's music. That's just me. I mean, some people did. Yeah. I, I got into music to be a better composer and to make my own music even better. Uh, but I do think learning some tunes and getting those under your belt are great, especially tunes from songwriters that you appreciate because you can kind of see how they put it together. You know, what are they doing? You know, what what chords do they put together? What what is what goes into that sound? And then that becomes part of your tool belt as a composer, you know? Mm, absolutely. How important do you think is being able to read music to understanding music theory? 
This is going to be controversial (laughs) (laughs) because I think reading music is important. I don't think it's important to understanding music theory. Mm, I know that's that's going to be controversial. I think if you want to be a touring musician and maybe in some cases you want to be a session musician, I've heard that you really want to know how to read music even though I know mm. some that don't. But I think in terms of understanding music theory, you, you don't have to read music to learn and understand music theory. You know, one Do you thing, teach it in your program? I don't teach, no, I don't teach music reading. Um, as a drummer, I grew up reading rhythms. Um, yep. I can look at a sheet of music and dissect it over time, but I'm not a, a music reader. I'm a music player. You know, I play music. I don't necessarily read it, but I do think that that can be very important. You know, when you're a child, right, and your brain is a sponge, you can sit at an instrument and learn from an instructor and play Mary Had a Little Lamb and, and read and play and do all these things in sequence because your brain is a sponge. As you get older, things do change, man. Um, and so what I found is it's easier for me to teach people to play the piano and to learn music theory when I take the element of, OK, now you got to read as well at the same time. When I take that out of the equation and say, let's just look at these notes and let's understand these as building blocks. Let's understand this as an alphabet. Right. And let's use our fingers to work on our mechanics so that we can move around this instrument. And then once we're there, let me teach you this song based on what you've learned. Right. So, you know what a C chord is. You know what an E chord is. You know how to move around the keyboard because of the exercises that I've taught you. So let's play this music by how it sounds and you and by the formulas that go into this song. And so that's my approach. I totally agree with you. My my experience learning theory was most of the theory I know was from guitar lessons in high school. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really do a lot of reading. I mean, I know the notes on the staff, but it was all about yeah, the numbers, right? One is the root, and then you mm-hmm. kind of build on that. And I, I totally agree with you, which is, I don't know if it's as controversial as as you think to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like I know, you know, Nashville notation has become really huge, which is all focused on numbers. Again, it's the one is the root, and you kind of build, you kind of work your way up from there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good answer. <laughs> right. Great. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I play by ear. And I think that can be pretty powerful, too, where you can kind Absolutely. of li- listen to a song and you, you understand the building blocks of music. So when you're playing by ear, you can kind of do some process of elimination. You know, you're trying to figure out what what chord are they playing next or what's going on in this melody. If you kind of know the alphabet and the language, you can mm. eliminate what's not right or what doesn't sound like it works and and back your way into what does work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know. again, it goes back to having that you're at a point, you're at point A, and if you know what the options are from there, you can kind of narrow it down, even without having some you know perfect pitch, which I certainly don't have. But you're right, it's like, okay, well, I know this, that sounds kind of like a major chord, and then I'll just try all of them until I find the one that... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the one that sounds right. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're going to find that most of the movement that you're hearing and songs that you love are fourths and fifths. You're just going to find it over and over and over again, right? Mm. They're going from one chord and you know they're going somewhere else. And you're like, well, where is it? It's probably a fourth or a fifth (laughs) up or down, right? If it's not that, maybe it's a third, you know? And so, again, once you start to know the language of theory, you you can really break it down. You know, I like to teach people how to become better at making their own music. 
you know, because that's what I needed when I was starting out. I, I didn't necessarily want to play, you know, John Coltrane's music, even though I think he's a brilliant musician. You know, I didn't want to play, you know, uh, Tchaikovsky or anybody like that. I was like, man, I, I am already producing. I want to get better at this. I want to know what I'm doing. Right. And there's a sound out there that I appreciate from other producers and other musicians. How do I access that? And, and that's how I teach, you know. Gotcha. How deep do you need to get into it, do you think? Like, what is, I guess, the threshold? Maybe another way to phrase it is, how long does it take? If you're starting today, you say, okay, I get it. I understand the importance of theory. I understand what Samori and Vadim are saying. Mm -hmm. How long would you expect it to take to get to this threshold where it becomes useful to you? I, I would say, you know, it's probably different for, for everybody. For me, I, I usually do about an eight-week theory and basic piano class, and then you kind of have a framework that's usable. And that's, that's a basic, you know, basic piano, basic theory, all triads, three-note chords, which you can actually do a lot with triads. Sure. But then it depends on uh, what the student or what the producer is going for. So, for example, if somebody wants to get into neo-soul, music which instead of playing triad chords which are a little more simple now you're playing ninth chords mm -hmm. so so now you've got to understand chords that are a bit more advanced okay so uh, again to answer your question it depends on where you're trying to go but most music that you want to learn or that you want to play you can access it using triads which you can get the basics in about eight weeks I, i'm also a huge advocate for the 10,000 hour rule. I still believe that even though you've got that framework and that's practicing 20 minutes a day, Vadim, every day, you know, maybe, maybe you take a day off in a week, but 20 minutes a day, every single day, um, after eight weeks, you'll have the framework, but it's not done. You know, yeah. it's a lifelong process. So the more that you practice, the better you're going to be, you know, and it's funny, man, you can tell people that till you're blue in the face. But it still it still eludes so many people, doesn't it? That you, you got to yeah. practice. You got to put the time in. Yeah, that's kind of a sign of the times. I mean, you could go on on YouTube and find you know a thirty minute video on on anything, but that doesn't mean you're gonna achieve the level of fluidity and expertise that you may want to achieve. Music theory is a great example. There's like you know music theory in five minutes. Like, great, I'm gonna watch this. It's, no, it's not. There's a little bit more to it than that. <laughs> yes, yes, you can get the, the the mental part. Okay, I understand what they're saying, but you right. got to get the mechanics. You got to let it. You got to let it sink in. You know, you 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 just have to put the time in. There's no substitute for that. And again, I, I got to say, going back to your question, how long does it take? You know, every genre of music has its formulas. Every genre, every genre of music has the types of chords that are played. In, in most of the music in that genre. So again, if you're in a genre like gospel or jazz, you wanna to go to those genres where the, the chords are more advanced and the movement is more advanced, then that's gonna require more. If you're in kind of pop, hip hop, some of those more contemporary genres like that, then, then the chord structures aren't as advanced and you can do a lot with triad. Mm. And how, how much does this translate? So let's say I've, invested the time i've invested eight weeks or whatever 20 minutes a day on the piano mm. but then later i decide well actually i want to play guitar i want to play scandinavian death metal <laughs> how oh. much do the how much do the uh do the concepts 
apply across instruments, I guess. The the concepts apply really well. See, and I love the guitar. I think the guitar is one of the most beautiful instruments there is. It's actually one of those instruments that for years I've always wanted to get better at. And I have I have guitars and I incorporate them into my production, but I'm by no means, you know, a, a master guitar player or anything like that. But the the most important concept in music theory is the concept of intervals. And all an interval is, is the distance from one note to another note. So even if you start on a piano or maybe you start on a guitar, if you understand that distance, so the shortest distance between two tones is a semitone, right? So on a piano that's going from one note to the very next note, whether it's white or black, right? That's a semitone. Now on a mm -hmm. guitar, that's going from one fret to the next. That's a semitone, right? Then if you go two semitones, that's a whole tone. So on a guitar, you go from one note and you go, you skip a fret, and you go to the next fret. That's a tone or, a, you know, a whole step or a tone. So that whole concept of intervals, once you kind of understand that, it translates beautifully between instruments. The mechanics of the guitar are, are much different than the piano, of course. So on the guitar, there is a, a lot of there's there's some mechanics you have to understand moving up and down that fretboard, you know, where the notes are on the fretboard. It's a different animal in terms of the instrument. But the theory is the same. The music theory is exact. There's still 12 tones. There's still, right. you know, seven tones in a major key and seven tones in a minor key. There's still seven chords. There's still all of that is the same, but you have to translate it to how that instrument works. Yeah, the the mechanics and also the just the visually the shapes yes. of things are a little bit different but yeah the basic principles of half step is a half step right no matter yeah. what instrument you're on so that's it, it and sense. you're you're a guitar player and and you just said it shapes how much of the guitar is about patterns and shapes yeah you know what i'm saying all of it, it. <laughs> all of it. and music yeah. theory is is understanding how those patterns work tonally and and whatnot so yeah man I, again, I think it, it really lends itself beautifully, you know, learning theory and even the way that, that I teach theory. I don't teach music theory on the guitar because, again, I, I'm not a great guitar player or anything like that. Um, but I, I like to teach it on a piano, especially for beginning musicians who don't play an instrument at all. You know, I think I'm probably a better bass player than I am a guitar player. But again, understanding how that instrument works and your intervals will take you a long way, no matter what instrument uh, you're playing. There is something, uh, a visual component to the piano that does make it a nice way of kind of visualizing what's going on. And also mm -hmm. the piano has less mechanical challenges than something like a saxophone where it's like, there's a mm. certain amount of technique I would imagine. I've never tried. <laughs> right. I would imagine there's a certain amount of technique just to get the saxophone to make a note or like the violin. But on right. the piano, you know, you can come up, anybody can come up to it and press a note and it'll make a, a pleasant sound, right? Right. So there is, uh, I think those two things make the piano kind of a nice, a nice learning tool as well. Absolutely. Well, Samori, I'm convinced. I, I do need to actually brush up on a lot of theory and it's something that's been in the back of my mind. I've been meaning to do it. Let's say I want to do it. What are some resources that are available to me? Well, I would say, uh, you know, for one, I am happy 
to teach those listening uh, to play the piano, to understand music theory. Um, they can go to homestudiotutor.com which is my online platform uh, with some great free resources as well as some premium resources. Um, and if they go to homestudiotutor.com slash coaching, then I do live one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and again, I'd be happy to teach folks how to play, how to understand theory. If they're in the Philadelphia area, they can come to my studio, Little Drummer Boy Recordings, and I will be happy to teach them live. And I have a team and, you know, we're, we're teaching folks all the time how to play. Um, and that website is ldb10.com. Other resources are, you know, books. You know, I know, you know, nowadays we go to YouTube a lot. That works, too. But, you know, you can find great books on music theory. You can find uh, YouTube videos on music theory. Obviously, there's so much information on YouTube that it, it can be a bit confusing. Uh, but I would say try to find resources to learn music theory that aren't genre specific. You know, try to understand theory in and of itself that doesn't deal with like jazz theory or mm. pop theory. I mean, nothing against that, but. Try to just learn the alphabet of music theory. You know, try to just learn how music works, especially if you don't play, especially if you know nothing about music theory, it will be a bit less confusing. And I would also submit that it makes sense to learn music theory in a way where you don't necessarily have to learn how to read music at the same time. Right. You right. know, playing music and reading music are not necessarily the same thing. Yes, agreed. I will say, having been to a, you know a couple of events uh, events at uh, Little Drummer Boy, that you have a great approach for this. You ha have a, a patience and a calm about your teaching style that makes things accessible and a lot less intimidating. So I can definitely uh, I can definitely vouch for the vibe you guys got going on there on uh, on South Street. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate it, man. Of course, with with uh, with COVID, we haven't been able to do as many of those types of events. But um, fortunately, we are back open. We're wearing masks, and um, and again with the online offerings, man. You know, we everybody can be safe and still learn what they need to learn. So I see you're wearing your Cole's family reunion shirt. So I know you got I know you got a time cut off here, but I'm just gonna go a couple of rapid fire questions for you and just just have fun with these and feel free to answer however you want. I'm gonna ask you about what piece of gear you purchased that was your biggest regret oh it's <laughs> a long oh, list you came you came out of the <laughs> gate with a gut punch let's see here let me think about this i'll try i'll try to go as rapidly as possible and i love the fact that i gotta think about this for yeah think about it let's think i bought a plug-in called i think it was called stutter edit I bought that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called Stutter Edit. And I wanted to get it so that I can make vocals stutter, right? And at the time, that was the big thing in music. Nicki Minaj had all these stutters going on. Mm. And so I bought Stutter Edit and I started using it. I used it on a project or two. But I remember that thing being complicated to... Uh, if you didn't use the presets on it, there was just yeah. so much going on to customize and I used it, I think, on one project, but Damon never used that thing again. And it's funny, I Dude, was just thinking about it the other day, man. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I bought it. I was like, this is great. I'm going to chop stuff up. 
It is complicated. I also think I've used it once. But I'll tell you what, that is not that expensive of a purchase. So that's not so bad. You didn't say you went out and bought like a, you know, $4,000 preamp or something like that. So that's good. No, because if I would have did that, I'd be using that $4,000 preamp. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Yes, sir. All right. So along those same lines, what's what's like a piece of cheap gear that you maybe didn't have high expectations for, but you ended up getting way more mileage out of than you thought you would Mm. you know this this is interesting man um it it happens to be the the scarlet the focus right scarlet 2i2 man yeah which is which is an interface that every you know everybody's using but i love that interface it is not that expensive in fact i'm on a scarlet 2i2 right now it's not that expensive um it, it sounds great it has everything that I need on it. Uh, and again, I have the 2i2 so that I have, you know, kind of the two inputs and two preamps and, and whatnot. But I just think that's a great investment, a great purchase, man. Totally agree with you. That's the one I always recommend to people who are just starting out. I still have mine. It's powered off the USB port. I actually saw your Instagram picture of you recording outside with the little 2i2, which I love. Yes. I love the idea of recording outside. But yeah, it's a, it's the preamps are really clean on it. It's not that expensive, and it's a really reliable piece of gear. So absolutely great answer. Yeah, because I remember I remember early on the the very first audio interface I got. I think it was from. Um, well, who was it from? I want to say M Audio. It may not have been, but but anyway, long story short, I remember that thing being close to five hundred bucks, <laughs> you know. And I had a Dell computer, and it had a PCI deal on it, where uh, you had yeah. to actually open up the computer, and it was complicated, and so on and so forth. So what this, what Focusrite did with the Scarlet, and a lot of interfaces are USB powered, but what they did with the Scarlet is just magnificent, man. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, in the studio, what's your what's your go to signal chain for recording vocals? We use a, a, a Rode K two um, as as a mic that we really like in the studio. It's a tube mic; it's really awesome. Uh, we use a really inexpensive mic, which is a, a Rode NT one uh, A, which is a really a fantastic mic for the money. Um, we have some Shure SM seven Bs. I think I, I saw that you. We're using that uh, SM7B as well. We think yeah. that's a really phenomenal microphone. Um, at one time, I was using a Neumann TLM 103. I think I'm going to go back to that because I love the sound of that. Uh, we use an Avalon. Uh, I've used uh, Universal Audio tw- uh, Twin Infinity 710. Um, yeah, it just it depends on the vocalist, but then, yeah. All right, last one here. What are two to three recordings that you often or you have recommend it to people as references like hey this is a great recorded sound this is a great mix just some of your your favorites for references Mm. i you know it's funny man i reference uh especially if i'm working on kind of a a rock influenced song that has more of a classic sound i reference the police a lot i reference songs Mm. like roxanne and uh, spirits in the material world and those types of tunes i I think they were recorded uh, pretty well um, it, it, it depends on the genre of music. So if someone's sure. working on reggae, I'll go, especially if it's more of a roots reggae, I'll go Bob Marley, Concrete Jungle. You know, I'll go, go that route. If someone's working on hip hop, and it depends on the, the style in hip hop, I've definitely recommended uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, kind of from his first album. Dude, I'm yeah, not going good, to, I'm, good Kid Mad City is, good is always kid, my Mad go-to City. for hip-hop. You, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So sometimes it, it might be Travis Scott butterfly effect if it's hip-hop. Mm. But it, it depends on the genre, for sure. Um, there's a 
there's an artist. Um, actually, she's out of Philly, Rochelle Pharrell. Uh, I know she went to Temple. I don't know if she's from Philly. But uh, Rochelle Pharrell has a song called uh, uh, Gotta Go. And if somebody's doing more of a, a soulful, bluesy type of deal, I'll recommend Gotta Go, man, because it's mixed so beautifully. But, you know, mm -hmm. the genre matters, as you know, as an audio engineer. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Well, anything else, Samori? What else would you like to, to add or talk about? Man, I appreciate taking the time, man, and having this discussion with you. Oh, it was my you pleasure. Know, out of, out of the, the interviews I've done and podcasts I've done and never had a chance to talk about the music theory side of things, man. So, Oh, cool. Kudos okay. to you, man, for, for that being a topic. Um, and, you know, what, what are you doing in the studio right now, man? What are you working on? You got some personal projects going on? Yeah, so I've been I've been producing for this one one band. Uh, it's kind of a metal band, and I I guess I joined it now as the guitarist. So I started just doing production for it, and so we're that's been tying up a lot of my time. So today, actually, after we're done with this, I'm doing my guitar reamping work. So the way I like to to work with guitars a lot of times is I'll record the direct signal off of my guitar. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I like to build a tone, make sure that the guitar tone is where I want it to be. And then I come back out and reamp that, run that through my amp chain so that I can kind of tweak all my settings. And I'm probably going to do a whole separate episode on dialing in that tone. Uh, but I've been playing around with that and playing around with different mic placements on my cabinets. So mm. that's like, as you know, being a studio guy, that's like some of the nerdiest, most fun stuff you can you can work on where I have my little notebook and I'm writing mic position one, what I did, take a picture, what did it sound like? And I'm going through all of the iterations, man. I've been, I did it all day yesterday, probably spent half a day today and hopefully come out of this with some cool new mic techniques that are my, uh, my go-tos. So that's kind of been my last couple of days here. That sounds fun, man. <laughs> I'd love to be a part of that, man. That sounds awesome, man. And, and you know what I would say, Vadim, to, to anyone listening, um, at the end of the day, make music. You know, at the end of the day, create and make music. Don't make a lack of understanding music theory or lack of equipment or anything keep you from being productive. Just create because there's just yeah. so much good that comes out of just creating. It it's, it's, can be uh, so therapeutic uh, on a whole lot of levels. Um, That's I, true. You know, and I would say, of course, I'm always open to to talk to folks, even if, if folks wanted to go to homestudiotutor.com slash coaching. I do a 15 minute free kind of a call, you know, to kind of talk about what what are you trying to do? What's going on? Um, if you do go out and, and want to find a teacher to teach you, make sure that teacher is a good fit for you. You know, because if you're trying yeah. to learn an instrument and and their style or their approach isn't going to get you closer to where you want to get to, that can be tricky. That's great advice, Samori. And you're somebody who's teaching kind of every aspect of it. You're teaching the engineering side. You're teaching the production music theory side and even the the business side. So I definitely recommend people uh, people check you out again. I think you have a really great approach for this. And uh, I agree with you, you know, keep making music because it's also the type of thing where quantity breeds quality. You know, the more songs you make, the, the quality of those songs is going to improve as well. So, Samori, thanks so much for your time, man. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. I hope uh, sooner than later we get to do it in person again. 
Absolutely, man. Looking forward to talking to you in my neck of the woods, too, on the Home Studio Tutor Podcast. So, hey, stay tuned. Yeah. DIY recording guy. Listeners, stay tuned. We're going to have Vadim talking about all of his jewels and nuggets of information. <laughs> That'd be great, man. I really look forward to that. Yes, sir. All right, Samori. Be good, bro. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support I'll see you next week.